0: Scripture today is 1 Samuel 15, verses 17 through 23. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed." Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agog, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king.
1: Hey, just as we were taking time to uh, to pray and uh, just come before the Lord uh, with Steve Appleton's uh, family, uh, Linda, Steve Appleton's mother-in-law, uh, is here and just felt impressed by the Lord that she just wanted to say a few words uh, to the church family. So come on up.
2: Boy, well, I don't know where this strength came from. I've never faced an audience before. I didn't even know if I could come to church today, and I just wanted to come because I feel the love. And I don't know how many people Steve's life has touched or Delyn's life have touched, but I'm sure directly and indirectly they've touched everyone in this community in some way. BSU, the the things, the generosity of them has been unbelievable and We we are going to miss him so much, but I can feel the love. Pray for um, Deline. She's beyond distraught. They had a deep, deep love for each other, deep love for each other. My little granddaughter, who's 10, has been so stoic and strong, and she has loved on her mother and said, Mommy, we will get through this. We will be fine. She knew when my husband and um, my son picked her up from school that it was not the right people picking them up. And when she was in the car, she said, my daddy's been in a crash, hasn't he? And he's dead, isn't he? She knew. She knew before she was even told. I don't even know how that was possible. But they've the kids have grown. They always fight, you know, their brother and sister. And they've just loved on each other. And, I feel the love from here. Please continue to pray for us. We, we need it desperately, desperately. We need it, and especially for Delynn. She's really desperately in pain, but she's going to get through this. Thank you.
1: One of the beautiful commands of Scripture is that we would love each other, that we would pour out God's love that he has poured into us, and that we love each other. 2 Corinthians remind us, reminds us that as we've been comforted by the Lord, that we would also comfort others. And so let's do that uh, with this dear family as we, as we seek to be a body of Christ and lift them up in this time that, uh, of incredible grieving. And yet at the same time, uh, Steve loved the Lord. And so we know that he is with the Lord. And so we praise God for that. This morning is about obedience. The reality of our lives is that we often live life, and we live a life of selective obedience. A life that kind of picks and chooses where we want to obey. We all experience this uh, as children, and when we would be asked to pick up a toy, pick up the room. And we would. And we would go and we would pick up a toy and we would put it away. But yet there was 20 other toys on the floor that we wouldn't pick up. But Dad, Mom, I picked up the toys. I put some of them away. All throughout life, from childhood on, we have a life of selective obedience to our parents, to the law. How many of you just sped a little bit coming to church this morning? A little over the speed limit. Selective obedience. And we do that with our Lord. We choose too many times, I think, in our journey what to obey and what we feel like Maybe we can just pick up some of the toys along the way. As we look at Saul's life, we, we see that he is one who is living a life of selective obedience. And not only that, but really of, of just rebellion against the Lord. His heart is moving further and further away from the love of God. And he wants to do what he wants to do, and he wants to live how he wants to live, and he will be obedient in some areas and not in the others. And God is put in a place of, of really no value. There was a story of a little boy who was in a Sunday school, and the teaching was on creation, and the t- Sunday school teacher said, now, now I want you to, to do a drawing of, of the creation story. And... And Jimmy over here was was drawing this picture, and the Sunday school teacher came up and said, said, Jimmy, what is it that you're drawing? He says, well, I'm I'm drawing God. And the Sunday school teacher said, well, what does God look like? And Jimmy responded, well, I don't know. I'm not finished with him yet. (laughs) We try to draw God, don't we? I will will draw my own and design my own God that I will be somewhat obedient to. Selective obedience. Saul was in the habit of drawing his own God. And actually, the God that he drew looked an awful lot like him. And we will see in this passage that he put up a monument to himself at Mount Carmel where Elijah the prophet called down fire And they cried out, Yahweh is God. But Saul put up a monument to his image of himself. Selective obedience. Saul has been trying to look spiritual. He's been trying to save face. He's covering his sin. And as we enter into chapter 15, it's a a very sobering chapter. It deals right to the heart. We see Saul continuing down the road. Of compromise. We're exposed to the darkness of the human heart. And at the same time, we're exposed to God's grieving heart and God's uncompromising holiness. Remember what the Lord does and says to all of us and calls us out? He says, I want you to be holy, be set apart unto me be living a life of righteousness. I want you to be holy because I am holy. A call to obedience. A call to living in the power of the Holy Spirit because that's the only way we get there. Be holy because I am holy. Chapter 15, God is calling his people Israel at the very beginning into a holy war against the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were ones, and we saw uh, uh, with Israel, coming out of Egypt. And as they were coming out of Egypt, the Amalekites were like lions who would prey on the weak, those who were left behind. They weren't part of the herd. And so the scriptures remind us that the Amalekites came and attacked the weak of Israel as they were coming out of out of Egypt. Killed the pregnant and the children and the elderly. And for God, that was detestable before God. Deuteronomy 25 speaks of that. And in Deuteronomy 25, it says this. When God gives you rest in the land that he promised, he's speaking to the Israelites, you will blot out the memory of Amalek. And now, as we enter into chapter 15, Saul will be the one to fulfill that judgment upon the Amalekites. And he is called now, with Israel, to wipe them out, to take out that whole tribe, Amalek. And so he comes in, and Samuel shows up to reveal the revelation, the instruction of God to Saul. And verse 1 is very clear. Therefore, Saul, listen to the words of the Lord. Listen to the words of the Lord. I think this is one of the big reasons we end up living a life of compromise, of selective obedience. We do not listen to the Lord, really, we don't we don't give value to what he has to say. We pick and choose what feels best for us. That's that song holy holy holy. That's who our God is. And yet we seem to take light of that, don't we, in this journey. We seem to develop monuments to ourselves. We seem to think there's no consequence for our disobedience. And then we also miss out on God's amazing love in our life when we rebel against him. We don't listen. We're focused on other things. We're focused on other voices. There's there's that great new commercial out and it's of this guy and this gal and they're on a date. Maybe you've seen it. And and she's wanting to talk about the relationship and he's like, "Oh, and she's, are you, are you watching TV? No, 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 I'm not. What? What are you talking about? I can't conjure up some sort of TV, you know? And, and he's got in his lap the, the phone with the football game going on. I would never do that. And then she's like, oh, good, because I wanted to really share about how I'm... Yes! <laughs> he's totally dialed in. She's wanting to deal with the relationship. He's not listening at all. We want to be in relationship with the living God but we don't listen we don't value we don't walk with we don't obey we are very selective in our obedience and I think this passage for me and I hope for you has is just really a call to that it's a call to, to take a look at Lord where, where are these areas that I'm kind of putting off or not taking so seriously I love you Lord in a lot of ways and I've picked up a lot of toys, but there's more. God says, listen, I want you to wipe out everything, man, woman, sheep, everything, and devote to destruction all that they have. And we see, we see after God's command in verse 8 this. We start out with wipe out everything. 2, verse 8, but he took Agag alive, he spared them, along with the sheep and the best of the sheep, the oxen and the fatted calves, they kept for themselves. He wiped out the, the women and the children and a bunch of other people, but he spared Agag, the king. Selective obedience. And I wanted to ask you that question. What does that look like for you? Who is the agag in your life? Where's that area in your life? Are you, are you in a relationship that, that continues to be destructive? That continues actually to move you away from the Lord? Maybe you're a guy and a gal dating and you're diving into sexual immorality and you want to stay there. I want to spare this king. What does that look like for each of us? What's the agag in our lives that we're sparing when God has said, I need you to destroy this? Is it never placing any protection against any of those porn sites out there? No protection at all. Because the reality is, you know that every now and then you like to dabble. You want to take a look. And so I won't put up any guards because I won't kill that king. Selective obedience to a holy God who loves us so much and wants us to have a life that is rich and full of Him. What king do we need to kill? God has said, I want you to take out everything. This, this nation, this people of, of Amalek will be destroyed because what was done to Israel was detestable before God. And this holy war is a judgment and a response to that. And I want you to devote that destruction to God. God. It was a practice in holy war. It's the idea of devoting to destruction that, that that which was taken, that which was captured, was set aside for God, that which was the best, what we belonged his share. And it was to be set aside unto him. But Saul and the Israelites, they kept the best of the best. And basically they gave the Lord the worst. And they set aside to destruction. They gave his share, the worst of what was left over. Hearts, hearts that are moving away from God. But we we wiped out most of the people. Man, we're quick to go there, aren't we? I'm doing all kinds of things that the Lord has asked me to do, but then we don't give the Lord the best which he deserves. It's like the offering of Cain and Abel, isn't it? I won't give you the best, God. I'm going to keep that for myself. And the hearts are moving away from the Lord. Verse 10 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret, I grieve, that I have made Saul king. This is hard words from the Lord. You know, we see this one other time. We see it, in the account of Noah, don't we? I grieve over the people. I grieve over what they've done. When we see this, you go, God, wait a second. You grieve over this. You regret what you've done here. And he says, I I grieve over that he has turned his back, that Saul has turned his back from following me. He has not performed... My commandments, he does not obey. When we see statements like this in the scriptures, we wrestle with them, don't we? We go, but God, you're a sovereign God. God, you know everything. How is it that you grieve or regret over this this choice? And I don't think that's really what the passage is dealing with in the sense of did God make a mistake? I think what the Lord is allowing us to see is his heart. Lord didn't make a mistake, but he grieves over the choice of Saul. And he grieves over the consequence because he's holy God. I wish that none should perish, but that all should be saved. God's will, God's desire, God's love I wish that none should perish, but all be saved. And you know that's his heart for Saul. But Saul is basically saying, to heck with you, God. Continually, continually, continually. Holy God we serve. And God is showing you his heart. I grieve over Saul. I grieve that he has moved this direction. I grieve that he will not repent. God is intimate with us. God loves us. God desires relationship with us. God grieves over where Saul is headed. God grieves over where Israel is headed as they follow Saul. He didn't make a mistake. But his heart is broken over who Saul is becoming. It's a sobering chapter Because we see the separation away from God. We know all throughout scriptures that God says, I'm a just judge. I will come, and those who have loved me, I will call unto myself. And those who wanted nothing to do with me, they will be separate from me eternally. He's a just judge. He's a holy God. He's not forcing love relationship upon you. He's allowing you to love him back. And Saul did not. And even to the end of the story, we still go, God is just. We don't know Saul's heart to the core, but we sure see a lot of it playing out in the scriptures. And it was a heart that was moving further and further away from loving God. God grieves at his heart. And we cannot change God's holiness. And so God sends Samuel in to confront this sin. He sends the prophet to go in and to deal with what's going on. And as Samuel shows up in verse 13, Saul, Saul is doing a, a Super Bowl you know, victory dance, like he just scored a touchdown, And he's like, I have done it all. Look at me. And then he says even this, Hey, blessed are you, Samuel. He has no blessing to give. He's just covering everything that he's done, and he's trying to pretend, look at my spirituality. Look at this great victory. I set up a monument for myself. Pat myself on the back. And God pierces and penetrates right to the heart. Right to the heart. And that's what he does with each of us. That's what he does with each of us. And I hope the Spirit will do that with you this week. He's been doing it with me. Just reminding me of things that I take lightly. Things where I kind of go, Lord, is it really that big of a deal? And he touches your heart. Let him do that work on you. We all need that. Because I know for each of us, we want to follow the Lord. And we want to live in righteousness. We want to be obedient. And so, Lord, do your work. Samuel steps in. Saul says, I perform the commandment of the Lord. I picked up the toy. Incredible self-deception. Incredible lie. Sin has blinded him. It's really a heart that doesn't know what God desires and what He wants and what He commands. And as He's saying all of this in the background, you're hearing ba, 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 ba. The bleeding of sheep. What is this bleeding of sheep I hear? Everything was supposed to be destroyed. And I'm hearing ba, ba, ba. There is a destructive path when we are confronted with sin and disobedience. And there is a redemptive path when we are confronted. Saul chose the destructive path, he chose to go down that path that was full of landmines. And every step he took was another explosion. And right away, we see how we respond. And you and I have done this. When we don't want to be confronted with sin, when we don't want to deal with it, right away we see it in, in verse 15, that we blame others hey, yeah, you know, uh, it wasn't really me who did all that. It was the people. They're the one who kept all the, the deal, all the sheep. It was the people. And right away, when you and I are confronted with our sin, our disobedience, that is always the quickest route. Let's blame others for why I did what I did. There's a story of a of a CEO who was being replaced by a, a new CEO, and the the first the first CEO left some notes for the incoming new guy. He said, "Hey, listen, uh, I just want to give you some information about what this job is." And he goes, "I've left you I've left you three envelopes uh, in your desk, and I want you to." Uh, open those. Whenever you make a, a big mistake, uh, your first mistake, open up letter number one. Your second mistake, open up letter number two. And your third mistake, open up letter number three. It should help you along the way. So the new CEO comes in, and things are going pretty good. And he's, he's doing well, and then all of a sudden he makes a big mistake. He goes into the drawer, and, and he opens up the, the letter, and it says... Blame me. Blame the former CEO. And so he does. He said, Well, you know, look what I got handed down to me. Look what happened here. And it works. And they're like, Oh, yeah, the former CEO. And we understand. And then things go on for a while and and doing very well. and, And all of a sudden, second big mistake opens up the envelope. It says, blame the board. So he blames the board to his co-workers and all that stuff. You know, they didn't, weren't working with me on this. And, oh, yeah, we understand. And, and he keeps on going ahead. And the things are good for quite a while. Then third big mistake happens. And he goes and he grabs the letter number three. And he opens it up. And it says, prepare three more envelopes. <laughs> You run out of envelopes. Saul ran out of envelopes. He kept trying to pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. And he wouldn't deal with his sin. And he wouldn't deal with his disobedience. And he kept trying to put it on others. And he would justify it. Well, the purpose of this was so we can offer unto the Lord. And Samuel just can't take it. He's just like, stop. Knock it off. Don't keep doing this, Saul. Stop digging this hole. It's going deeper and deeper and deeper. Just stop. Do not speak anymore. You stand before holy God. There is consequence because of your disobedience. And the bottom line is you did not obey the voice of the Lord. And then he denies it and he minimizes it in verse 20. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. This was to be a sacrifice to the Lord. Look at verse 20. To the Lord your God. Wow. Wow. You know, I've had friends like this. I've had friends who who make choices that are sinful in their spiritual life. And I enter into life with them. And then somewhere down the journey, they say, "You know, I'm not even sure about who I am with the Lord. I'm not even sure if I believe all that anymore." And I think part of the reason they say that is cuz they don't want to deal with God anymore. And the sin that they're choosing And that breaks my heart. As it does God's. But I did. I did these things. But this is the Lord, your God, that we're sacrificing to. And he says this, Samuel says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, and this is the key for all of us. Behold. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Let's stop trying to look religious. Let's stop trying to do all these good deeds when our heart is distant from God. Obey. Follow what he's truly asking of us. Forgive each other. He wants us to forgive one another. Why aren't we doing that? Why are we holding on to that anger and that bitterness? Yet we come to church and we praise God together. To obey is better than sacrifice. And so it's a call for all of us. Me, you know, I'm right here with you. I'm in the journey. Going, Lord, you know, help me. I want to obey. And forgive me, Father, because I have not. The rebellion, Saul, verse 23, it's, it's like what you've done, it's like worshipping the devil, really. It's a sin of divination. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. You try to look as spiritual as you want, Saul. You can try to pretend you're doing the sacrifice. You can try to pretend you did this great victory. But all God wants and all he sees is your heart. And what God wants most from us is a heart of obedience. Here's what Micah 6 says. What shall I come before the Lord with? How shall I bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And verse 8 of Micah 6 is real clear. He has showed you, O man, we know this little song, don't we? It's a beautiful song what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly to love mercy to walk humbly with your God God's heart is that we have hearts that are living justly and hearts that are loving mercy and that we are living lives that are humble bow down before our God What does he have you do? We bow down before God. We don't minimize the sin. That there's consequence that takes place. You see, Saul keeps, again, he's just digging and digging. It's, hey, I did this, and and, hey, look at me, and I was going to do a worship thing here, and, and, and then he sort of repents. Oh, I've sinned. That's really not repentance, is it? Oh, I've sinned. And then he goes on. He's like, but hey, could you put in a good word for me for, with the elders? Could you, could you kind of stand with me, Samuel, and you know, make me look good in front of the elders? He sinned, and he confesses right there, I believe, because he's caught. He's caught. He has nowhere else to go. And he tries to do this this backpedaling. And you and I do the same thing. All of a sudden we get caught. And so because we're caught, we try to do a quick act of forgiveness or repentance. But we don't really mean it. Our hearts aren't really there. And God is calling us to repent. Saul will not. I listened to the voice of, Of the people. I think part of the reason that we go there is because, in selective obedience, is because of exactly that. I listen to the voice of the people. The people tickle our ears, the people tell us what we want to hear. And it's amazing to me, amazing to me, how many times when we're in a struggle and we will go and get counsel from people who have nothing to do with God. Blows me away. You're seeking truth and answers from people who have nothing to do with godliness. They have lots of marriages struggling. And so they get counsel from their co-workers. You shouldn't put up with a marriage like that. He's not loving you very well. Oh yeah, you know. That's true. And we soak that in. We listen to the voice of the people. Proverbs 29 says, The fear of man listening to them, responding to them, will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Saul will not repent. Everything is torn. Everything is lost. And there's great grieving by Samuel and by God himself. You know, you you wish you could read this as a fairy tale. Like, there must be a happy ending here somewhere. But this isn't the chapter for the happy ending. This is life that runs away from God. This is life where a heart has turned away from God. You've lost everything, Saul, because you did not obey God. And I know exactly where your heart is, God is saved. and it's torn from him that day. And God grieves over that. Like a parent who's lost a child to rebellion and drug addiction, and they die. We grieve over a child like that. They've said to us, I hate you, parents. And yet when they've run away from us, we grieve to the core. That's God's heart for us. Eugene Peterson says, Saul's life is tragic life and it warns us about God's uncompromising holiness, a call to take seriously God's word in our lives. When confronted with sin, we can either go down the road of destruction or we can go down the road of redemption. And repentance is, repentance is the road of redemption. And I hope for all of us that we will take time to go before our Lord and to repent and say, God, forgive me. You know what? It's hard to come face to face with our sin. We don't want to deal with it. And God steps in in our lives, either uses people in our lives, or the Spirit comes upon us powerfully. And He doesn't take sin lightly. And He doesn't say, well, you know, it's all going to be fine. There's going to be no consequence. There's consequence for our sin. But at the same time, God comes alongside of us with incredible compassion and incredible forgiveness as we repent. It's offered to each and every one of us. And he wants to do that with you. He will deal with our sin. And I pray that each of us would do the same. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to love you more. I want to... to to enter into life with you that is abundant life and I will not kill Agag here and so help me to kill him. I repent. You know, it's interesting when you look at King David's life and you look at Saul's life. King David did a lot of bad, bad things. Didn't he? He wiped out Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, so that he could be with Bathsheba in an adulterous affair. Those are bad things. Saul did bad things. But here's the difference between the two kings. Saul didn't deal with his sin, and he never repented. But listen to King David Out of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquity, and cleanse me, O God, from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And this is verse 4 of Psalm 51. Against you and you alone, God, have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. And King David was called a man after God's own heart because he chose to obey, and when he, when he sinned against God, He came broken and repentant. And the scripture promises, and I have washed you anew. You are whiter than snow. And God's heart loves your heart that is pure and cleansed. I pray for all of us this morning that we'd really consider what does it look like to live a life that is sold out in obedience to our loving Father. Not just selective obedience. And where we're struggling and killing that King, that we beg the Holy Spirit, Lord, give me the strength. You know this is an area I'm struggling with. And let Him come with you, come alongside of you, and restore you, and give you the strength to be delivered from that. That's the God we serve. And He says... If you love me, you're the ones who obey my commands. Let's pray. Father, we do. We want to love you more. And we know our sin keeps us away from that. We know our sin keeps us away from from you. It separates us out. But Father, I thank you so much that you, you forgive us as we repent before you. And, Father, that you, you come alongside of us with incredible grace. And I thank you for that, Father. Lord, send your spirit upon this body of Christ. Send people in our lives to be like Samuel to confront us with our, our junk so that we might live in righteousness. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we
0: surrender our hearts to you. Amen.